We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna so talk I about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring I up married- cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic. I'm your co-host, Julia. And I'm Barry Worst, the film critic. Hello, everyone. And we are going to discuss the 1987 classic, Fatal Attraction. Dun-dun. Well done. (laughs) This film is directed by Adrian Lyne, and we have talked about his film, other previous films. Yeah, it's weird. This is the second Adrian Lyne film. We haven't talked about... Oh, we did an episode on Unfaithful? Didn't we? Did we? I don't remember. I don't think we did. I think oh. we just talked about it, but I don't think we did I think an that episode. was a private conversation. I think, the ep- I think <laughs> our listeners are missing out on a riveting discussion on Unfaithful. Oh, man. Their eyes are so beautiful. You should never close them, even when you are asleep. Oh, that's probably why we didn't do it. Yeah, it's a pretty kind of lame. Cheese, that movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that movie wants to be Fatal Attraction the worst way. But, you know, most erotic thrillers after Fatal Attraction, wanted to be Fatal Attraction. Mm-hmm. The good ones all had Michael Douglas in them. No, there you go. Yeah. So this movie is um, basically stars three people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we have a kind of a love triangle that's not really a triangle. Yeah, yeah. At least for the most part, they're not even aware that it is a triangle for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got Michael Douglas, we got Glenn Close and Ann Archer. And I feel like these are the roles that probably define them more than anything else. And even though I, I think Douglas has surpassed this, I feel like, oh man, I, Douglas did a movie called Wonder Boys. I think that's his best film that came out in 1999. Glenn Close. I mean, there's so many definitive Glenn Close performances, but this is the one that's pretty legendary. Uh, she played Norma Desmond on Broadway and Sunset Boulevard. That's probably my favorite. And then Ann Archer. Um, yeah, this is it for Ann Archer. No, I'm kidding. She did a she did a movie called Shortcuts, actually. She played a birthday party clown in the movie Shortcuts, the Robert Altman film, and I love her in that. That's probably my favorite of hers, mm. her performances. But, I mean, this thing, this movie was a monster. I was a grade school kid, and even I was very aware that this thing had just kind of taken over. The way, I mean, seriously, the way people talk about Marvel Cinematic Universe now, that's how people were talking about this thing. I mean, it, everybody was talking about Fatal Attraction. Everyone had an opinion about it. Everyone had talked about how many times they had seen it, how shocking it was. This thing was a part of the conversation. It was it was the zeitgeist just absorbed this thing. There were all these questions about morality that this film tapped into. This came out around the time, I mean, this is 87, so AIDS was in, I hate to put it this way, but it was in full effect. And there were you know, a lot of beautiful men and women who, who were struggling with AIDS. And here comes a film that is, you know, maybe the the best commercial for safe sex ever, this movie, <laughs> or no sex, rather. This is like one of the best pro its movies you could ever, ever hope for. The the funny um, there's that scene in um, Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, you want to go there? Yeah, 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 where Tom Hanks is, you know, like kind of going on a rant with his son, and he's like, "Have you seen Fatal Attraction?" <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's so many, there's so many of those to talk yeah. about. I mean, my, uh, Michael J. Fox in the movie uh, The Hard Way is telling is telling James Woods like, "Until she boils your rabbit," you know, like there's that. 
there was a movie called Hexed, a really bad parody of an erotic of erotic thrillers, and one of the taglines for the movie was, "It's more fatal than any attraction, more basic than any instinct." Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into it because um, this movie opens up with Michael Douglas and Ann Archer at their New York City apartment. It's a very similar scene to the opening of Eyes Wide Shut, isn't it? Mm. It's just like... Yep, normal family. It's domestic rituals, people just doing their thing, getting ready. Everybody's in their underwear. Oh. Yeah, did you notice yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, like, they're wearing stuff from the top up, but yeah, Douglas is in his underwear, his wife's in her underwear, I assume their daughter's in their underwear. They're all just like, just, just very casual, like a, yeah. And you notice that all of these movies have a two parents and one child? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, this movie, um, Unfaithful. Um, Deep Water? Deep Water. Also, the one you just mentioned, um, Tom Cruise. Oh, Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm like, um, Malice? Yeah, there's one kid in that one too. Yeah, yeah. but they're all yeah. just like... A three-person family yeah, unit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The traditional I don't know if triangle. That's easier. I think it is. It's, I think it's, it's just easier if you're like, well, we only want to deal with one child actor. It's less messy. Yeah, <laughs> it's less messy that way. I mean, even like all the subsequent Fatal Attraction movies, like The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. I think there's only one child in that yeah. one too. Yeah, they're all like one little kid. baby. But yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. The Temp. No, not the Temp. <laughs> oh my. The Temp wishes it were Fatal Attraction. <laughs> but um, Michael Douglas is our everyman in this movie. So he is a lawyer, just businessman, husband, father. Lawyer? Yeah, he's a lawyer. Is he a lawyer? Yes. It's a publishing company. He works for the legal department. The legal... He No, you totally missed that. He's like... I, I'm the lawyer that works with your publishing company. Okay. I mean, he's yeah. like maybe cinema's least interesting lawyer then because this is, I mean, come on. We're talking about like self-help books. Right. He's doing lawyering for like copywriting, you know, infringement. Okay. It's definitely the least <laughs> sexy thing about Fatal Attraction. He's, yeah. He's not like a litigator. I yeah. Mean, there's no like, no, you're out of order. No, nothing yeah. like that. He's no. like, have they plagiarized this book? I'm going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, the other thing is that their daughter looks like a little boy, and I always get confused, and this is what I think happened. Okay. This is my theory, because I'm like, oh, they have a son, and then you're like, you said that last time you watched this years ago. I'm like, oh, because she has a, like, a little boy haircut. Here's what I think happened. I think the backstory is she got a hold of some scissors, and just like every child chopped her hair. And the mom tried to fix it, and it ended up looking like this. It's also 1987. Is this a popular haircut in the 1987? It was because never I a popular. Whoa. I was this age. I was this child's age in 1987. She roughly has the same haircut that Molly Ringwald has in For Keeps, so maybe, maybe. Okay, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Michael Douglas's hair. I mean, he's had spectacular hair. This is like 80s prom picture hair. And then, you know. Oh, the 80s hair in this movie. Yeah. Is... And, and Archer and and especially Glenn Close. I mean, they're, it's almost like it's dueling 80s hairdos here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they got the full on 80s mane going on. They're like the pride of the jungle. Oh, man. They're, they're, they should buy stock in that, you know, Aquanet. Oh, big time. Yeah. And the ozone layer has a few holes because of these two actresses. <laughs> okay, so Dan and Beth yeah. are getting ready to go out to a work thing. This is that a work party like gathering. And I think I did write, wow, 80s hair in my notes. Everywhere. It's, it's out of control. Yeah, and you've got Stuart Pankin playing 
his best friend and and you're glad he's in the movie because the movie doesn't really have much in the way of comic relief Stuart pankin was on a hbo show called not necessarily the news he's still around he still acts he's a very good actor mm-hmm. so this is um the scene where we meet glenn close's character alex forrest and what she's dan's, an associate editor editor dan's yeah. friend kind of tries to make a pass at her yeah and she's just like whatever and like walks away gives him a really scary look yeah 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 you're like oh okay yeah and they they comment on it too but i'm thinking yeah man like i've certainly you know i've been like hey how you doing and i've i've gotten like a go away look but not quite like this this is this is amazing you got the major sting guy yeah (laughs) okay yeah so then at one point dan sits down at the bar Mm -hmm. next to alex and they have a little conversation yes and that's when they find out they kind of work together, but not really. And um, that's kind of the end of that. They don't really... Do you think they have chemistry here? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they... Immediately they have good interplay. But I mean, if if you don't know what this movie is, if by some chance, some miracle, you're seeing this movie and you have no idea what Fatal Attraction is about, I don't think you would have guessed the film is going to develop the way it does. Yeah, no. Especially in the scene that comes next where we see them in strictly a business... Uh, a business milieu um they're working together on a, a well, we'll get we'll get to that but yeah no i mean t- the chemistry is always there but i you know again like if you don't know what fatal attraction is by some miracle it is fun to go into this because you wouldn't you wouldn't assume this movie goes as extreme as it does no not with this beginning but does anybody not know what this movie is that's the thing it's like this feeling this movie is such a touchstone I feel it's like the shower scene from Psycho. People know that even if they've never seen Psycho. I feel like Fatal Attraction is a lot of those scenes. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't watched it all the way through, you definitely should. If you've only like Googled certain scenes or YouTubed them, you should do yourself a favor and just watch the whole thing. Do people Google Fatal Attraction? I don't know. What maybe. is Fatal Attraction? <laughs> what is that movie my parents thought was so scary in the 80s? Yeah, well, maybe if someone... Set, calls someone a bunny boiler and then they want to know what that means i don't know <laughs> They're cr- hey wait a second what is a bunny hey <laughs> okay so we find out beth and ellen the daughter mm-hmm. are going out of town they're gonna go to the grandparents house and they're gonna go look at a house in the country potentially they want to move out of the city and so um dan's gonna be home alone for a night Yes, just him and the dog. Yeah, him and Quincy. And he has a work meeting. And so he goes into the office. And what do you know? Alex is in the meeting. And so this is his uh, fancy lawyering, you know, that he's, he's like eating food. Like, he's just kind of like, gets like (laughs) cream cheese on his nose. You know, basic lawyering. Yeah, basic lawyering. And it's just this real casual <laughs> meeting. Like they're not even sitting at a table. I don't even know <laughs> really what they're talking about. Well, this is actually. Uh, I will politely disagree with you. I, I everybody goes to the scene right afterwards, where the two of them are having a meal together, and it's that discussion about discretion. Are you discreet? And I think the scene before that is even more important because they're sitting in this in this boardroom essentially, and it's a, it's a work meeting with Alex there as the associate editor, and she's conferring with with Dan, and the topic is the sexual truth of a book they're about to publish, and the question becomes if what's in the book is actually real and is there going to be a problem? Is there going to be a legal problem? 
and the word the, the phrase between these walls referring to you know it's going to be a secret between us so right from the beginning but this is of course in a in a non-intimate setting dan and alex are sharing a sexual secret and this is for the first time mm. so the film is kind of setting it up like these are two people it's establishing that they can keep a secret and initially it's in a professional setting initially it's in you know a, a bureaucratic safe efficient setting okay well, and then when they leave this meeting, um, it's raining outside. Which you notice right and away. Yeah, like, oh, Adrian Line, you're up to it again. Every time. Okay, so Dan, he can't get his umbrella up. and That sounds like a euphemism or something. <laughs> I don't know what, though. I don't know. And um, Alex is has her umbrella, and she's just sort of like laughing at him. And, and I was like, ooh, every time Adrian Line wants to get characters together, like the weather is kind of like bad. Yeah. You know, like in this one, it's rain in Unfaithful. It's the wind, Mm -hmm. a horrible windstorm. A ridiculous windstorm. It's so stupid. But this one is a little more realistic where... Yeah, his umbrella isn't working, as you've said. Yeah. 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 But but, I mean, no, I I think there is something to it. I mean, look, it's fatal attraction. It's not subtle. It's like, you know, the weather is changing. A storm is coming. Um, You know, the movie is setting itself up for like, this is a fateful meeting. Right. And so they run off, you know, into a restaurant under her umbrella together and they're like running down the street. And then they have this lunch, you know, I wouldn't call it a date, but... No, not at all. But it's a casual lunch and he certainly sees it that way. Right. And she quickly changes it into something else with the tone of her conversation. Um, That's where the conversation, the very famous scene where she asks, you know, are you discreet? I got a lot of pool here, you know, my favorite restaurant. Yeah, I know. They know me well. Uh, miss, you want a coffee? I love that. Can we have two coffees, please? <laughs> oh. Well, I tell you, it's... Uh... You want one? No, thank you. Yeah. Nah, it's funny being a lawyer, you know, it's like being a doctor. Everybody's telling you their innermost secrets. Oh, God. You have to be discreet. Oh, God, yeah. Are you? Am I what? Discreet. Yes, I'm discreet. Me too. Can I ask you something? What? Why don't you have a date tonight, Saturday night? I did have a date. I stood him up. That was the phone call I made. That make you feel good? Doesn't make me feel bad. <laughs> so where's your wife? Where's my wife? My wife is in the country with uh, her parents visiting uh, the weekend. And you're here with a strange girl being a naughty boy. I don't think having dinner with anybody's a crime. Not yet. And then it's funny, like, you kind of wonder, like, well, how far is the scene going to go? How far are they? I mean, you know, how far is it going to go for him until he finally, you know, it's like, okay. Um, her line is, we're two adults. And he goes, let's get the check. And then we immediately cut to. No, but the, before that. Tonsil he, hockey. He, <laughs> um, but before that, he, you know, he says, oh, well, this is up to you. 
like that's like, a good point. Yeah, thank yeah, you for like, pointing like that out. Have, yeah, yeah. If we if we do anything, it's like, your fault. It's your it's your call basically right yeah. now. And I thought that was interesting because here we have this guy who seemingly has it all: gorgeous wife, cute kid, good job, apartment in New York, whatever. And you you don't get any like. Well, I didn't see any tension in his relationship in the I beginning. Did. Oh, you I did? did? Yeah, yeah, because he wants to have an intimate moment with his wife. He has to go walk the dog. Oh, right. It's never happened to me before. And then he gets back, <laughs> and his daughter is in the bed. And it's like, sorry, it looks like she's leaving with us tonight. Also, not, not nothing I can relate to in my life. Never happened before. So, yeah, he's, you know... Uh, okay, but... Okay, so life is happening, but it's not anything in my opinion, like, out of ordinary. like No, it's nothing drastic, but it is, it is that thing of, like, well, he's, you know, he's married he's to this beautiful frustrated. woman. Yeah, he's frustrated. He's whatever. He's repressed. If you, That's kind of a strong way of putting it, but... Okay. Yeah. Okay, so there are things that are not happening. He doesn't have much of a sex life right now because of the daughter, probably. They were... What do they say? They were married for eight years, and the daughter was born three years into their marriage? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so... Okay. No. Yeah. And it might be that thing of like, you know, as, as you know, I've said about like people I know who are like, you know, we we got married too quickly. We're too young. We didn't really get to know each other. Maybe it's maybe it's that sense of like, you know, we're missing out on stuff because we're raising this little girl and, you know, and she gives herself a Floby cut and now she looks like, you know, Tinkerbell. <laughs> it is the 80s. Oh, my God. Flobies rolled the rage in 87. Okay. But so he's sitting, you know, in this restaurant with Alex mm-hmm. and... He's like, yeah, I can be discreet and, you know, it's up to you if you want to do this. And just seemingly like, if you want to, I'm game. But he doesn't say it like that. And it's just kind of weird to me that he's leaving it all, the ball's in her court. Well, you made a really good point, too. And this is, I mean, this is really interesting, too. And I've thought about this since we had this conversation about this movie. One of many conversations we've had about fatal attraction. You asked me the rhetorical question, has he done this before? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. That's a great question because you're right. Like on the one hand, it is this moment of like, oh, we're both talking about the same thing and we both want the same thing. But if you're cool with it, it is that kind of thing. But at the same time, the fact that he's letting it happen and he kind of, you know, he kind of asserts is like, well, if you think this is a good idea. Yeah. Like he doesn't seem to be uncomfortable. Like, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. Right. And he didn't, he doesn't say I wouldn't, you know, it's not the thing of like, I would never do this or that that's something I would never do. No, it's like, it's like I'm married, which quickly becomes like, you okay. know, it's like, I can't drink. I don't have a driver's license. I'm like, I'm just kidding. We'll figure it out. You know, it's like, it's very, <laughs> you know, it's, it's very, I can't drink. I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> clearly, I've never been in that situation before. But anyway, so yeah, no, I mean, to, to your point, I mean, it's, it's, it quickly becomes this very quick moral adjustment if you will mm-hmm. yeah right so they they jump to having sex at her apartment jump being the operative word mm-hmm. yeah just right okay this is the thing i have Mo- movie sex is always like what this does not look comfortable at all but you know to, to be fair it's adrian line movie sex oh, okay that guy like i mean this it's always something very tangible it's always like it's usually in a kitchen area 
his famous, I mean, his famous scene in nine and a half weeks is they're in a fridge and they're like taking condiments out, which is bizarre. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is like one of the least sanitary sex scenes in cinema because it's at the edge of a sink and there's like dirty dishes in there. Yeah, dirty dishes in the sink. Yeah. And then- But the, again, symbolism. The water turns on and she's like, mm, how about I just like splash this water on myself? Like, what? <laughs> splashy, splashy. <laughs> I mean, look, there's, look, there's a boiling pot in this movie and a number of scenes. Like, Line is not subtle. He's never been subtle. So maybe I'm, it's... I'm, well, I'm not, I'm not is, looking for subtlety. This is a European filmmaker. It's like, you know, okay, we got it. We got to have like a phallic symbol. We got to have, you know, <laughs> sexual imagery. You know, like, I mean, if, if the guy knew how to use a crouton for symbolism, he would. Hmm. Okay, look for that in the next... Yeah, look year. for the food symbolism <laughs> in all the sex scenes in Ladrian Lyons films. Even even um, Indecent Proposal had some of that nonsense. Okay. So, but then, um, yeah, they, they did talk about in the making of that um, it was Michael Douglas's idea to kind of like have his pants around his ankles as he's trying to like walk from the kitchen to the bed, you know, was to yeah. just kind of make it like a funny moment. And I thought, oh, that was, in- that's interesting. It's also graphic though, because the implication is that they're already doing it and that he's still walking with right right. yeah and they get to the bed and there is some what i love is casual nudity which is something that you never see in films if an actor or actress in a movie is naked nine out of ten it's always like they're posing for a magazine this is i'll say really quickly because i do love this I, i love it when filmmakers do this because this is what filmmaking should be Robert Altman always said when a when a character is naked in one of his movies, what he always his his approach to nudity is that a person in a movie doesn't know they're naked. Mm-hmm. So when they're in bed with somebody, the, the the sheets don't go all the way up to the neck. Where they're in a shower, they're not positioning themselves where they look like they're showering. They're not just like you know when people take a shower in movies, they're always like washing their arm, you know. And when <laughs> someone is getting ready for you know for work, you know, of course they're touching their private parts to adjust themselves. Like they're not just like just you know primping their hair. So when Robert Altman did nudity in his films, it always felt like like they don't know they're in a movie. It always felt like voyeurism, and you know that's. That would should be because, yeah, these are characters in movies. But so many times in movies, you know, the actors know where the lighting is. They know where the camera is. It's too studied. It's too self-conscious. I, all that to say, I love the moments of nudity in this film because, yeah, they do feel like, oh, like we shouldn't be looking at this. This is intimacy. This, this is revealing in a way that they're not, they're not aware they're being filmed. Mm-hmm. You know, that illusion. Mm-hmm. All right. Good to know that about you. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like my nude scenes. We all learned something tonight. Um, okay. So then after that, she's like, are you feeling energetic? It's, and he, the look on his face is like, uh, no. But they go out dancing anyways. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, this this was an interesting moment for me because it's a total throwaway. We don't need to know that they go salsa dancing after that. But the camera is in a really intense close-up of the two of them. You really get the sense of the sweat and, and the intimacy of it. And then line immediately cuts to these salsa dancers. And it's the same thing. Incredibly close. We get the sweat. We get the movement. It's like the sex and the salsa are kind of like one and the same. So, I mean, you know, uh, line rather is really laying it on thick. As I said, there's a boiling pot in the early scene, um, you know, to, to kind of talk about the temperature going up. It's, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just in case, just in case this movie is rising. hot enough for you. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tea kettles in this movie. Oh yeah. You're yeah. right. There are yeah. a lot of tea kettles. At, time, at times it signifies sex. At other times it signifies danger. Danger. Yeah. 
And then, okay, so then they come back, have sex in the elevator going up. It's just like... Another of the least sexy sex scenes in movies. Yeah. Very famous scene, though. And um, I think the reason they show the salsa is... I think it's kind of establishing that she's not just looking for sex. She wants, like, a partner. She wants... More yeah, than it's that. like I have someone I can go out with now. Right. Yeah. Right. And also, I mean, the fact that it's it's one of these scenes after another, it does kind of establish like there's something off about Alex because even after a vigorous session, if you will, I'm trying to be very <laughs> PG rated, <laughs> like she's still. I mean, like there, there's there's a bit of nymphomania about her. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Okay. So we, um, Bill leaves the next morning. He doesn't. I don't know. There's no like breakfast. And so. Yeah, it's it's great because really quickly, because again, like even though some of, some of the stuff Blind does is very ham fisted, if you will. But like the movie opens up in silence with a very slow reveal of, of a morning in New York, with the sun going up. It's really lovely. And you hear, you know, uh, you hear just a bit of the sounds of the city, but really like it's a very quiet opening. And then after all the sex and salsa, that's actually a good title right there. <laughs> Dan Douglas is leaving, and it's another one of those mornings. It's like, okay, we've we've just seen how much his world has changed in 20, 24 20, hours? Yeah, 24 hours. God, it's been that quickly. Yeah, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so then he his wife calls, and he finally talks to her and lies to her, tells her that he had dinner with Bill, and... Beth tells him, well, we got to stay an extra night. We weren't able to see the house. I don't want to fight traffic, yada, yada. And so he gets another free night. It's interesting because two things about the scene you just described. One is that when he listens to his wife's voice on the answering machine, the camera is a tight close-up of Douglas. I love it because we're really, I, I'm really reading his face. I'm like, well, is it guilt? Is it the whole thing like, oh, God, this again, this, <laughs> this life? I'm really trying to figure out like what it is that's going through his mind at that point, but it's something is registering really strongly. And as you've indicated, because of the way he snuck out of there, out of Alex's place, you don't really get a sense that he wants more of that. You know, you really get the sense like he's just going to hang out with Quincy and yeah, he's like, okay, well, I got work to do and I'm just going to be here. He's got some basic lawyering to do. Yeah. Yeah. Do my basic lawyer stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For any lawyers out there, please don't send me hate mail. Okay. All right. Well, they don't send hate mail. You know, they send like, you know, court orders. So. <laughs> Someone's going to knock on my door. <laughs> we have a summons. Yeah. <laughs> Did you call me a basic lawyer? <laughs> I do important lawyer stuff. Okay. So I think there's a law firm called Basic Lawyer. <laughs> there should be. Is it cheaper? Because I would call them. Can I just get a basic lawyer? <laughs> All right, so then the, the creepy, this is where I think creepiness starts, is Alec, <laughs> yeah. Alex calls him. How does she get his number? Yeah. How does Well, it's, it's innocent. It's work. It's work. I'm sure, uh, you know, he probably, she probably has his number. I mean, look, there's no email at this point, but I'm sure. No, do she call, like, the operator? No, no, no. I suspect there was a memo when they had to deal with that issue about the, oh. about the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was probably like, you're going to be dealing with Dan Gallagher, right? Dan Gallagher. You're going to deal with Dan Gallagher. Here's his number. Here's his his P.O. box address since there's no email or anything. Yeah. All right. Here's his his library card number. So, but she's like, you were gone when I woke up. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Why did you just leave? He's like, didn't you get my note? 
And she finds the note and is like, oh, well. It's playful, but it's prickly. Yeah. yeah it's great. Because like, and, you know, I can't put too much of a point on this. Glenn Close is magnificent in this film. And, uh, yeah, the way she's playing this, like, there's, Alex is not, it doesn't seem like she's pulling any strings or anything. She just, it just like, where were you? I mean, like, after, after all that, after the sex and salsa TM, you know, I was wondering what happened to you. So he's like, I, you know, my dog's been home alone. I got to walk him. And she's like, I'll oh, walk him with you. I was going to I forgot about that. That was like, I'm like, like Adrian Lyne, king of the insert shots. Where's the intense close up of a big puddle of pee <laughs> as Dan walks back into his apartment? Where's that? You know, that shot had to be in there. Yeah. That poor dog. That dog was alone from the afternoon until the next morning. I'm sure that dog, like as, as Dan walked in, he was like, Oh man, I know what you've been doing. I can smell the sweaty sex on you. Yep, you're lucky I can't talk. I'd be telling Beth. So they go to the park and they're like running together. And I don't know, what did you think about this? I appreciate you asking me that because I have very strong feelings about this. And and I swear to you, like I'm talking about this as a movie. I know, I I know that infidelity is wrong. I know that's the the number one wrong thing that's going on here. But let me just say this, like. This scene bothers me so much because, A, it's Central Park where they're doing this, but they could run into somebody. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. What, like, they don't have friends? Like, of course they could run. Well, I mean, it's, it, New York. it's New York. In the 80s, I mean, they could get mugged or like, like one of their friends could walk by and be like, hey, Dan. Uh, oh, I th- sorry. I thought that was bad. You Beth. think someone's going to run in randomly into one of their friends in New York? Why not? Sure. They're, they're, they're socialites. It's Central Park. I mean, other than like buying crack, you can have fun in Central Park, have a nice afternoon, and obviously play with your dog no, and I know throw that, a frisbee. But you think like I his, think I think there is a chance they could have run into some lawyer friends. Yes, because <laughs> what else do basic lawyer friends do on a Saturday afternoon? So okay, so there's that, and the the thing that I mean, I probably I'm kind of kidding, but I mean the thing that probably bothers me more is that I mean they're they're playing here they're they're domesticating like it's mm. it's like they're totally playing a fake life they're playing a fake relationship she's playing with the dog they're wrestling together um yeah this is really really wrong yeah really it, it bothers it bothers me it bothers me more than the sex that they're doing <laughs> this it's like this is this is screwy man i know and then dan like fakes a heart attack and she's like i can't believe you would do that my dad died from a heart attack and then he's like, oh, I'm really sorry. And then she starts laughing, like, haha, I got you. And he's like, oh, good one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this seems like a really weird like way to joke around, especially when we find out later on. Again, there's something very yeah, wrong about the two of them. It's, it's There's something off about her. They're very off. And there's also something about him where it's like, he should say something like, you know what, this is screwed up. Um, yeah, I really got to go. But instead, he just takes Quincy to his to her apartment for his next, you know, session with her. There you go. That's the word. <laughs> Let's run with that. Let's run with that. A lot that. of sessions in this movie. A lot of sessions. Um, but at least Quincy's being taken care of, I guess. <laughs> Now Quincy can be just like watching them in that awkward way that dogs do. Well, isn't there a shot where Quincy's like looking out the window at a butterfly or a bird or something? I don't know. There's there is a shot where they do acknowledge what Quincy is doing, and he's like, 
Like, look at the birds outside the window while his, while the sessions are happening. So, okay, now they're at her apartment, yeah. and we should talk about Madam Butterfly, because that becomes... Well, she's making dinner for him. Again, yeah. they're totally playing like they're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's weird. He is a little too comfortable. She's very comfortable with this idea. It is, you know, and she keeps bringing up the uncomfortable, but also the very important question of, like, why are you here? Right. You like, know, like if if your marriage is so great, what are you doing with me? Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't really ever answer. He doesn't give a good answer, and you know, I mean, we'll get. Into- well, he he's just like, I, I'm really lucky. That's what he says. Right. Like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so she's putting on Madame Butterfly, and it's a you know, it's the '80s, so it's a tape cassette. But um, great moment, great scene, and and one of my favorite things that Douglas does in this film, his character tells this this really painful story about when he was a child and he's watching it with his father, a production of it and how it affected him, how it frightened him, uh, how, you know, Madame Butterfly Puccini's opera ends with this suicide. And, you know, it's some pretty, pretty uh, explicit foreshadowing in the part of the film, Mm -hmm. but you don't know that. Um, But it's wonderful. It's wonderful because the way he and Alex are having an emotional moment over his recollection it's nice. And it's also like, okay, this is, they're having these real moments in the midst of all this, this honey play acting that they're doing. Yeah, they're yeah. playing house because right. um, she, she says, so what are you doing here? And he says, you're terrific, but I'm married. Okay, so they have sex, they have their first fight. You know, where she kind of like hits him a little bit, like on the chest, where she just gets really. Tipped. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's fine. I mean, finally, I mean, Dan is finally going, look, like it's over. Okay. I got, I got to go. I have to go to work. And she goes, I don't like this. Um, right. And she's, on the one hand, like she's kind of easing into this rejection that's happening, but she's also fighting it. And he's really trying to just get the heck out of there. And. Yeah, at one point she says, you know, it'd be easier if you just said F off, and that's what he says, and then it becomes this really, really ugly fight between the two of them. Well, he says, come on, you know the rules. Right. And it's like... It's like, wait, didn't you say, you like... You didn't establish I'll, like, any... I'll anything. jump if you jump? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, he left it up to her, and then he tells her, come on, you know the rules. Yeah. So now he wants to be back in control. Yeah. And like, again, like, I mean, they're like children. Like, there's rules to this. No, there's there's no rules. Yeah. Like, you you didn't say, look, this is a one night thing. I only want sex. Like, he never established any kind of expectations and let her just like. He's like, if there were rules, we would not have gone salsa dancing (laughs) because that was some crap. (laughs) I was exhausted. You know, we had sex, and then you made me go dancing. Like, I never would have done that. (laughs) I hate salsa. Yeah. So um, she says, come and say goodbye nicely to him. And this is when, you know, they're hugging, and she puts her hands on his face. And he realizes it's all wet, and it's her blood. And that's when we see, like, oh, my gosh, she has slit her wrists, like, pretty severely. And now... He runs off to get a towel to help her and he smacks his hand against a pillar and get this big bloody, bloody handprint that he is not aware that he has left, but the film very carefully shows us. Yeah. And by the way, um, this movie, 
uh, it, it, it's one of these funny things about this film. It was not Oscar nominated. We'll talk more about that. But it was one of the things it was Oscar nominated for was best music, best original score. The movie only has 10 minutes of music in it. Ooh. Tops. 10 minutes tops. It's one of the shortest movie soundtracks. If anybody ever paid more than like $10 for the soundtrack, you got ripped off because it's 10 minutes of music. <laughs> That's basically like a dollar a song. But anyway, my point being that the movie is an hour old, and this is when the music finally comes in. Maurice Charest's score uh, in Maurice Charest. I mean, he's you know he scored everything from Lawrence of Arabia to Ghost, but this is where we hear the music, and it's so scary that suddenly this movie, this quiet film, has this music, and the <laughs> the the theme for Fatal Attraction, if you will, is so unsettling. And the intensity of Glenn Close's performance is overwhelming. It's it's very hard to watch, especially in this scene where she goes completely manic and she's, you know, her arms are just soaked in blood and now Dan is soaked in blood. The film really turns on you. And this is when, this was the moment where I thought, this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. Right. Like, what yeah. would you do if, I mean, what do you do in that situation? I mean, he stays with her. He bandages her up. He does the right he thing. He does the right thing because yeah. he wants to make sure, obviously, she doesn't die, yeah. you know. Um, and then at some this, point. Because, you know, because I think he's such a dirtbag. It's going to be the whole thing. Like, he doesn't want to go to work and be like, man, bummer what happened to uh, that associate editor, right? Yeah, kind of <laughs> sad. I heard she slashed your wrists. I heard. Yeah. Right, right. He's a, he's a jerk. Anyway, yeah. we'll, more about that later. So he, um, he call Dan calls his wife from her house, and I said, "Oh, this is obviously before caller ID." <laughs> <laughs> just like, can I use your home phone? Call my wife. No, he doesn't ask her. He just does it, and just you know checking in. And then he leaves in the morning, but he he's like, "Promise me you're going to see a doctor," and she's like, "Yeah, I will." I mean, it's so. It's just kind of, it's so crazy. Um, and then he goes home. He messes up his bed. He pretends that he's been sleeping there. He gives Quincy his leftovers. I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you just put it down the garbage disposal? I love that moment so you much. To, like, give like, it to your dog? It's the twofer. Feed my dog and yeah, get rid of the evidence that like, I, I was not around to eat my wife's crappy spaghetti. Yes. Yeah. Hey, maybe it's good spaghetti. You don't know. You made some excellent spaghetti tonight. Thank you. But I think it was—I think it was probably better than Ann Archer's because he could have been home eating that spaghetti, but no, he was out with Alex Forrest. Exactly. Gosh, he made some really bad choices. So then he goes to work, and he comes home and sees, uh, you know, his wife and daughter, and then. You know, she's telling him all about this house up in upstate New York, and he's like, "Yeah, well, let's go see it. Let's go check it out." And so he loves it. I don't know. Do you want to say anything about the house? It's, I don't know. They just. Sure. What I, the thing I wrote in my notes, because uh, Beth shows him the house and she's talking about some of the changes she wants to do. And this is a beautiful country home. And at one point she goes, yeah, we'll have a painting party. I, my note says WTF is a painting party. <laughs> what the heck is that? I think and why would anybody go to that? I think that's when you tell all your friends like hey let's paint the house together yeah, who would go to that because i went to a do you remember this i went to a hot tub party which meant that my friend wanted me to help carry his hot tub into his backyard and set it oh, up oh man and then after like four hours of that he's like you want to get in i'm like no i want to go home i'm exhausted i've been lifting your hot tub well that is not what a hot tub party should be it should be. i know <laughs> i have my trunks i have <laughs> this is my this is my 
You didn't know? No, this is my friend Steven. Remember? Like, yeah, it's a hot tub party. I'm like, great. I'm like, oh, we're actually going to bring it in your house. Okay. Oh, God, it's heavy. I can see why you had so many people come to this hot tub party. Oh, good. It wasn't just you and him. No, it was like seven of us, and and we needed like four more of us. It was really heavy. And I remember leaving like freaking hot tub party so like what's a painting party is that what that is yeah it's, it's just like i'll do the bathroom is that what it is like yeah every, they they buy the paint and the brushes and everyone gets to work oh my gosh well first of all we've never had this and i will never go to one of these because that's that's some crap right there <laughs> painting party hire painters you schmucks yeah they have the money no kidding i mean i don't know he is a basic lawyer so maybe then i'll have a ton of money <laughs> get, get some basic painters <laughs> I'll paint your walls, but it's going to take me seven weeks. (laughs) There's only one of me. (laughs) Okay. So, um, (laughs) all right. So he, they love the house. They're thinking about getting it. And he goes back to work. And who is in his office when he shows up? And black or black leather jack, like, oh man, we are so deep in film noir territory. It's great. Alex. Alex yeah. is there, and um, she apologizes to him for what happened. So this is kind of... And she says, most men would run away, and you stayed with me during the episode. And, and you know, she's right. She's right. That is that is a very admirable thing, because certainly, I mean, what she did is was so disturbing and frightening and out of left fields. It, it is admirable. It is that well, he like, stayed what, with her. I mean, what is someone supposed to do? Just, okay, the only other options are leave her to just fend for herself, possibly die, call 911 and then leave or like take her to a hospital and drop her off. I mean, this is the only decent thing to do is what he did. As long as she's not, you know, actively bleeding, like he did the best he could. And, you know, he's a schmuck. So he is. But yeah. Yeah. But I found it interesting that she's there supposedly to apologize, to to make it right, to be like, you know, this is why. He hasn't returned my calls. This is why he hasn't been in touch because he feels awkward about what happened. So I need to put things right, so to speak. Yeah. But then so she she apologizes to him by inviting him to see Madam Butterfly mm. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I don't think I, I can't do that. This is not happening. And she's like, all right, well. She says these are $80 tickets for Madam Butterfly at the Met, the Metropolitan mm-hmm. Opera House. For some perspective, this is 1987. A ticket, a good ticket, not even, you know, not even like front row, a good ticket to see Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera was going for $100 at this point. Mm. So this yeah, is. Yeah, so she spent a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah, this isn't like cats where it's like $20, take your kids. <laughs> no, this is, this is Madame Butterfly at the Met, people. So then we get this kind of juxtaposition of Alex at home listening to Madame Butterfly just turning the light off and on and Dan and Beth out, you know, bowling with their friends, having a great time. And it's just, he's such a jerk face. He went bowling. (laughs) (laughs) He is a basic lawyer. What a jerk. (laughs) I got to say listeners like this is, it it happens every time I see this film. Um, And I'll, I'll read you what I wrote in my notes. Look, Alex is unstable. She's a nymphomaniac. She's obsessed with Dan and clings uh, to their intimacy, but she's not the villain of this movie. Dan is. She embodies what he wants, and she also embodies how he'll pay for his sins. Watching Alex Forrest sit by herself, listening to Madame Butterfly, turning off her lights on and on, probably all night long, just sitting there, 
I know some people see it as like a horror movie moments. I know people have said it's like one of the scariest. What that? No, I, I, my heart breaks every time I see this. It yeah. just kills me. I feel so awful for her, and I hate his guts because the idiot went bowling when he could have went to see Madame Butterfly. Yeah, that's true. The, I mean, come on, at least like that's it. All right, it's 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 public. Nothing's gonna happen at the Met, presumably. Like just no, just I mean, go if with he, her to Madame he Butterfly. Goes with her though. It's just encouraging this this fake relationship on that some level. He doesn't want, but he doesn't. But he doesn't have that perspective yet. You know, I, I mean. But he Alex, knows, he knows unstable, enough. unstable, but not crazy at this point, right? We can assume no, that he doesn't we... think she's crazy at this point. Just like she's a clinger, right? The, the Vince yeah, Vaughn, okay. she's a class A clinger, a stage five clinger. There you go. Yeah, no, you you don't encourage stage five clingers by like spending more time with them, though. That's I'm not, well, I'm not talking about real life. I'm talking about the no, world of fatal yeah, attraction. In this movie, though, do you really think? I mean, I don't know. I I think. Least he could have done. No, just go with her to, to like. Hey, like I'm really glad we saw this really tragic thing together. No. Okay, like Mm-mm. I'll see you at the office. No, no. buddy. No, a little chuck on the chin. That's no? only going to encourage her more and make her more attached to him. Like he should have been like, hey, like I'll have my creepy my buddy Stuart Pankin like have him go with her. No, like although I think he's bowling with him, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. No, she. Okay, I agree with you that Alex is not like the villain right now. But Dan, if he wants to, like, keep her at bay, he can't be agreeing to these, quote unquote, casual, like, dates with her. All right. That's how she would see it. Fair enough. Although it's I like would salsa. say. salsa. This... You, you can't do it. Okay. So after that part, Alex just keeps calling him at work. She is not letting go. And, you know, he says it's not a good idea for them to talk anymore. Um, and then this is when. We get that scene that you were talking to me about where Beth is getting ready in front of the mirror. Yeah, it's it begins with a picture of the two of them, of, of Dan and Beth. And he's like grappling her. I'm like, that's interesting. Because it's, it's, it's not so much that he's holding her as much as he's possessing her. And we immediately cut to Douglas staring at his wife. And it makes me think like his wife is like that house. She's a possession. She's something that he has. Um, does he love her? I don't know. I don't know. I think he's very fond of her, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, obviously there's a lack of honesty there. So I, I look and say I don't respect this relationship. I think mm. she's fantastic. Clearly, yeah, she's clearly a super mom. No, she's great. And I was like Beth, total hottie, and Quidus interrupt us for this couple every at every turn. It is pretty ridiculous because like. Not to sound like a big dumb male, although it's of course the case, but like, you know, Glenn Close is, is smoking in this movie. She's smoking in real life, but like Ann Archer is freaking gorgeous in this yeah. movie. It's like, you idiot. Yeah. No, she's dummy. Yeah. She's totally hot. And the fact that they can't figure out <laughs> how to have sex in their own apartment. An apartment is, that big, too. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm like, um,. Put a show on for the kid and like go lock the door. Yeah, put I don't on know. it's eighty seven. Put on some Thundercats. Seriously. Put like, on some headphones. Crank up the Tiffany. Like it's really it should not be that complicated. Yeah. But for them, they keep getting interrupted, and then their friends come over for dinner, and whenever they're with their friends, it's just like this great, like riotous good time, you know. So I I don't know, but you're right. I don't I don't know if how he feels about his wife. Like, yeah. I just don't know. I, I just, I don't sense a camaraderie like he has with his buddy at work. 
who right. clearly knows yes. everything. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. they they have more chemistry in the friendship department than he does with his wife. I don't know. Yeah. I mean I agree. All right. So what comes next is Alex reappears and, and she And calls at calls their house and Beth answers. Yeah. Yeah. And hangs up, but yeah, we know that it's and then eventually she calls him she calls and he two AM two AM and he picks up and answers and she says that I want to meet at a certain place in time. Um And he's yeah. pretending to talk about work stuff. Right. Yeah. And um he sees her the next day mm. and this is where you know she says that she's pregnant. And oh man. Now now we're dealing with some serious now now it's just gotten to like another level. I think the thing that shocked me cuz I'm just like wow man, I can't believe like this movie came out such a long time ago cuz she says I'm pregnant and I'm 36 years old. I'm like, oh my God, I'm 10 years older than these characters. Wow. <laughs> 1987 was that long ago. Jeez. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. I'm 36 years old. I don't know if I'm going to have another opportunity. So I'm keeping this baby. And he's just like, what? I mean, I'll pay for an abortion. Like, let's just get this taken care of. And she's like, nope. I love that this is in the film. Because this is 87. This is when, I mean, the, the the topic of abortion has always been hot topic. It's always been controversial. But at this point, it just wasn't something that popped up in mainstream American movies. This was the stuff of TV films. This is something that, you know, people talked about in editorials. But it's such a painful and personal and divisive topic. And the fact that it's here and it's so in your face and, you know, she's, and you're so mixed about this, right? Because... You know, Dan's perspective, yeah, it's like it's erasing the mistake. Her perspective is like, no, not only do I love you and I want to be with you, but like this is the thing that should push you over the edge because look, you're going to be a daddy. Again, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Even though you're already a dad and you're an idiot because he was like, uh, you don't like you're not on the pill basically. And she's like, no, I had a really bad miscarriage. I didn't think I could get pregnant. And I'm just like... And I think it's Disney sailing. Like, Isn't there anybody else? Oh, yeah. Kind yeah. Are you sure it's mine? And she's like, I don't sleep around, Dan. Like, I'm not a slut, you know? I think she even says, like, I'm not a slut. Yeah. And so I'm... And there's Dan going, man, if I could just go back in time and wrap it up, that probably would have been a good idea. Like, they... This is how short-sighted... Wait, wait, wait. Wrap it up, like, cut the night short or... Wear a condom. Oh, okay. That is what you're saying. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I'm like, is that a euphemism? That is. <laughs> it is. Wow. Well, because this is, you know, if you go back to their conversation. <laughs> Wrap it up, Dan. Wrap it up, Dan. Time for some sessions. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up for your sessions, please. <laughs> um, no, but if you go back to their first, you know, lunch together, the only thing that's really discussed is, are you discreet? Mm -hmm. And do you want to do this? And he never, um, hello. He never thought like, hmm, maybe I should find out if she's on the pill or not. And, you know, she never said anything. That's the thing. Like no one said anything. Yeah. Nobody was worried about STDs either. Nobody's worried about anything. These two strangers. Yeah. All right. I mean, in the eighties, that seems, <clears throat> no, that, I, that seems strange. I agree with you. Yeah. I feel like, AIDS and HIV, it's like the only thing that doesn't come up here that you figure would come up in a conversation. Hey, did you know, how do you know, did you have a test? How do you know that? I, I do feel like that that's maybe the one provocative thing this movie doesn't want to deal with. 
And then another thing she says is, you play fair with me, I'll play fair with you. Yeah. So they, they keep, it's like this cat and mouse thing. But it's also, I mean, <clears throat> if you want to call it a feminist horror film, go right ahead. Because, I mean, it's about an even playing field. And Dan does not like that at all. No. This is not, no, no, no. You know the rules. Okay, honey. Toots. Yeah, yeah. You know what? This is like, it's over. Okay, playtime's over. Okay, I'm going to go back to I, my family. I had my fun. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm going to leave you here to just deal with your broken heart Total and whatever jerk else face. Is yeah, going it's just on. very like very traditional old school masculine approach to this this sort of idea and she's like, "No, man, it's like it's hey, it's the late 80s." Like, "No, I She's know. not having it. No, not at all. And as she should not. So, and you know what? She wants to keep <clears throat> her baby. That's her choice. So, she's made the choice and now um Dan sneaks into her apartment. To like find, I don't know what he's trying to find. What do you think he's trying to find? Well, he tells Stuart Pankin, I don't even know the character's name, Stuart Pankin. He tells Stuart Pankin in that scene where they're having a, a brief talk in the library. By the way, oh. I think it's like the only time we ever see uh, a non-Caucasian actor in this movie. You've got an African-American guy doing a bookshelf. Otherwise, like, it's all white people in New York. Never mind. It's the 80s. Whatever. <laughs> so so plausible. But uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he tells Stuart Pankin that he went in there to find something. Evidence that it wasn't his kid. Something. Oh, yeah. And all he finds is this newspaper clip about the death of her father and it's kind of under mysterious circumstances it's a little similar to the well no that he really did die of a heart attack okay and that she was that joke she made in the park wasn't really a joke yeah yeah it's it's eerie i mean it's kind of like that moment in misery with the photo album where we where we established that annie wokes you know what what she's capable of it's like the movie doesn't really need it but i'm glad that it's there you know, because it, if anything, it verifies that she exists. I know it's a weird thing to say, but the thing is, like, we know this character from what Dan knows, you know? Mm. So, it, like, I do like other perspectives. Like, I'm not saying I want this movie to be longer or anything, but if we had, if there had been a scene where we actually meet one of Alex's friends or a sister, I would have welcomed that because the character is fascinating. And I am interested, I mean, like, certainly with some of the weird people we know or have known in our lives, it's always interesting when you get another perspective. You know, mm-hmm. just like, 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 well, what do you think of her? Um, and we don't get that. I mean, really, everything we know about the character is really in this insulated world that Alex is trying to keep intact, and it's just falling apart. Um, you know, it's like he's trying to keep her caged, and she will not have it. Right, and yeah. she shouldn't. So after he sees that newspaper clipping, he meets his friend in the library, and yeah. he just is like, I'm scared, I don't want to lose my family. Oh, geez, Dan, maybe you should have thought of that. And so then Dan changes his phone number. And, you know, Alex is trying to call and and it, now the number's unlisted. She can't get a hold of him. And so... Um, oh, man. She the, would have such a field day with the way it is today. Uh, and I wonder, like, is... Because, um, not to derail this, but I, as we speak, like, this is, uh, this is summer. And in the fall of this year, there's going to be a Fatal Attraction TV show on Paramount+. Plus. I wonder, is, is, is it going to be a lot of things like, like, I had to get rid of my Instagram account. I had to get rid of my TikTok. <laughs> She's all over my Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. we're all going to be like, okay, just block her? Yeah, I don't exactly. Know. <laughs> yeah, it's 1987. It's like you change the number and you're good, you know? <laughs> you're... Except, Except now the, uh, they've listed their apartment for right. sale because they're moving to the country, yeah. <laughs> Bedford. And uh, what do you know? Alex is interested in their apartment. 
She's, she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. She wants something a little bigger. This is a scary scene because Alex is. comes home and he hears... No, Dan comes home. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, Dan comes home and he hears Alex's voice in his living room and his wife is having conversation with her. And what makes the scene scary is that there's a few shots of Douglas's reaction, but really we're seeing it. I mean, the camera is his eye. We're seeing it from his point of view. Right. So when he looks at Alex, he's seeing things that his wife is not seeing. And it's, it's scary because you're like, what is she going to do here? You know, it is that for that idea of like, what is the, you know, what is the, and we realize what the goal is. She was just there for the number and she gets it. And it's a really funny moment that she's just kind of kidding. His wife is like, Oh, I'll give you the number. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, this this scene is scary, I gotta say. Yeah, um, because they pretend to introduce, you know, themselves to each other, and you can just see the look on his face is like, I don't know how I'm gonna get rid of this person. Yeah, like there's, I mean, it it, it has a lot to do with the fact that Glenn Close has this really frightening coarse sort of gaze where you almost sense like there's sometimes like you almost go like is there anything behind those eyes because they could be so scary the way she looks at him this movie uh is very similar to a clint eastwood film called play mystery for me which came out in 71 i think and some people would say it's a better film some people would say it's a similar film but both of those movies I, I think they work especially well because there's a sense of mystery where you don't know how much danger the main character is in mm-hmm. you know um you know how much this relationship is going to cost him and at this moment like i'm thinking like oh man is this like the moment where he tells his wife right in front of it like like, what is going to happen and and no it's this it's this agonizing moment of again play acting mm-hmm. on everybody's part everybody beth is the only one who's like oh she's so nice and yeah i oh. gave her the number yeah like yeah yeah no idea what's going on but yeah but dan and alex are just totally giving a performance here right so then later dan goes to alex's apartment he is so ticked and this is that famous scene where she's like well i'm not gonna be ignored dan yeah so what can i get you i've got scotch i've got vodka i just know i should be in the cut this shit will you just cut it i don't know what you're up to but i'm gonna tell you it's gonna stop right now no it's not gonna stop it's gonna go on and on until you face up to your responsibilities what responsibilities i'm pregnant i'm gonna have our child alex that's your choice, honey. That has nothing to do with me. I just want to be a part of your life. Oh, this is the way you do it, huh? Showing up at my apartment? Well, what am I supposed to do? You won't answer my calls. You change your number. I mean, I'm not going to be ignored, Dan. He's just like, you can't do this. Yeah. Um, she's like, I'm going to be the mother of your child. Yeah. I want some respect. And um, he says, if you tell my wife, I will kill you. Yeah, so, it's great. It's so great. And... It's like, again, totally, total seriousness. Like, I'm, I root for Alex. I really do. I, I know you're not really supposed to, but I totally root for Alex. I often root for the villain, or so to speak. I don't find her to be villainous. But I got to say, like, Douglas is so good. You really get the sense, like, man, it is. it sucks to be him. It's such, <laughs> it is such a rotten existence to be this guy. Um, because in the subsequent scenes, we get all these shots of him at home. And even in his nicest moments... Every time the phone rings, this guy is just a mess. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. the phone rings and he's just flinches like, oh, every time. No, mm-hmm. is it her? Yeah. You know. So they they move to Bedford. They're like, he's like, I gotta get out of here. So this is where the movie goes a little cuckoo. And it, it I and I look, I, I love this movie, but yeah, I have some questions about some of these subsequent scenes. Okay, so the but before you we talk about that, um, Dan and Beth talk about getting Ellen a rabbit. She really wants one. Yep. And so 
finally Dan has this white rabbit in a cage and it's at the office and he, he takes the rabbit um, <laughs> to the car in the um, parking garage. Yeah. And Alex is watching. Alex is watching him. And this is where we see that um, she has poured acid all over his car. And my question, how? Yeah. Because here's the thing. I'm totally serious about this. Right now, if you're like, Barry, I need you to get some dry ice. I know where to go. If you were like, Barry, I need you to get toxic waste. I actually know where to go. I have no idea where I would casually get acid and how to handle that. I know. And put it on a dude's car. Yeah. How would you transport it? What do you put it in? And as we see, there's a lot of smoke. put it in plastic. It'll eat it up. I mean, did she wait? I mean, did she watch him walk away and then she like, and like puts on her gloves and then like giddily like pours this acid all over and watch it? I, I, I can't imagine it. It's so ridiculous. It's yeah. And then this she scene just baffles. And me. then what? She doesn't get anything on herself. Yeah. And she's just in the shadows. And she's wearing her black leather jacket. Wouldn't it like you know? What would it, it leave holes? Yeah, would it leave holes in her really nice, you know, expensive black leather jacket? Oh my gosh! All right, so he has to rent a car to get back to Bedford with this rabbit, and then what? He has this cassette tape. Yeah. Wait, how did he get it? I love it, and like, and I'm thinking, you know, he puts on this cassette tape. It's like, you know, for Dan from Alex. It says, "Play me, Play Alex." Me. And I'm thinking, like, is it going to be Stings? Every breath dig. Is it going to be Rockwell's? Um, you know. Um, someone's watching me. Like, I think like, what kind of creepy? No, it's just her talking. It's just her talking. But, um, yeah. And one, one of the things she says, maybe you wrote it down too. She says, you thought you could just walk into my life, turn it upside down without a thought for anyone but yourself. Yep. And I'm going, you know what? She's right. Yeah. I I did write that. I did write that. Yeah. It's great. It's like, man, that's because she's like, good point. Part of you is growing inside of me. Oh. Oh, it's like, ooh, yeah, you're right. Okay. And um, she's like, you need to acknowledge your responsibilities. True. Yeah. Like, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Two points for acid lady. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. But then again, like another moment that just, it feels written. It doesn't, like the acid thing to me, it's like, that's what a writer would write. It doesn't feel like something someone would actually do. Right. And I mean, you know me, I've, I've, dated some interesting people and i've certainly known people who have dated interesting people who have done crazy things but like i've i've never known anybody to get acid on their car <clears throat> ever and then right. the scene another thing like it just feels like a very it just feels off she's spying on him from outside she's watching him with his wife and daughter and she vomits at the sight of them do you remember that oh well maybe that's it's, weird. no i think it's morning sickness you think so? It could have been. Yeah. Mm, okay. But yeah, she um yeah, she she follows him home. Yeah. And he gives And she's watching them, yeah. You know, Ellen gets her rabbit and she's very excited. And Alex is just outside. Yeah. It's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like on one hand, you're like, okay, Alex, you make some very good points. On the other hand, you're so creepy. Like, get yourself a better lawyer. And, like, figure this out. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, she has business savvy, obviously. She could figure out a way to really corner him legally. Legally and make him 
deal with his responsibilities. Yeah. Like if she wants money, if she wants, I don't know, um, some kind of child support. Instead, like, it, it's going to be one of these things where she's on the stand and the lawyer's going to be like, so um, have you ever uh, ever purchased um, battery acid before? In yeah, your exactly. Life? And we have a couple of the weird things you've done here that, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Dan goes to the police and he, I love this scene so I love much. It. It's hilarious. And it's <laughs> he's like, well, we can't do anything. Like, technically, she kind of hasn't really done anything yet. Yeah. And he's like, oh, because he's pretending it's a friend. That's what I love. Yeah. He's just like, he's like, like, so this guy I know <laughs> with this girl, and what would what what should he do? And, uh, and the police officer says, well, it's his bed. He's gonna have to lie in it. <laughs> yeah. And he's like looking right at him and says it. You know, I, I just I love it so much. Just. <laughs> The cop's like, so this friend of yours, does he look like a young Spartacus? Like, <laughs> like he knows. Does he look like you, perhaps? And then the look on Dan's face when he says it's it's his bed, he's going to have to lie in it, is just like, ah, oh, crap. It's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, this is when we get to the bunny situation because... <laughs> You know, their family, they've been out of the house and they get home and... This poor bunny. I swear the dog was like, this house is crazy. Run, bunny. I know. Quincy's like, woo, I'm really glad they got that bunny or it could have been me. Like, man, oh, thank God. It's definitely not going to be me now. Yeah. But they come home from seeing the grandparents and poor Beth has to find this boiled bunny in a pot on the stove. And then Ellen... seeing that it's empty like the little rabbit hutch is empty and her rabbit is gone okay this is this is when i was like okay you're not rooting for i am not rooting for alex anymore because (laughs) literally now she's traumatizing a child to make her points yeah yeah. i mean she takes it further she takes it so far yeah and i'm like okay think about it like now you're pregnant you're gonna have a child you want this is what you want somebody to do to your kid like no this is completely disgusting and irresponsible and unless and you mean. like rabbits too and then it's a very thoughtful gesture and she maybe she just wanted to cook for him <laughs> like i didn't think you guys would have time to make dinner after like being with the grandparents all day so i was just helping you out yeah okay exactly see no that's no I mean, you probably should remove the fur then before, you know. Yeah. Okay. So then this is where Dan tells Beth everything. Yeah. The confession scene. Yeah. It's excruciating. Yeah. For all the right reasons. Because then he's like, I know who did this. Because she's like, why are you calling the police? And I know who did this. And he tells her everything. And she just, just freaks out. And the, and the. It's great. Because initially, like, there's an archer. For one thing, she's she is an excellent actress. I think she's best known for playing Jack Ryan's wife in the in two of those those Jack Ryan movies. But like, this is the film. I mean, she was also nominated for this. It absolutely you know launched her. And I think it's it's primarily primarily because of this scene because she's not just playing you know the wife of you know dealing with the other woman. This scene, she plays a lot of notes because initially when he's first admitting to it, she's very tender. She almost seems apologetic. Um, it's almost it's like she can't believe it. She's there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I love an actor that can convey what they're thinking or like just the fact that they're thinking so much. So when she finally lashes out at him and physically it's fantastic. You want her to have the strength of Mike Tyson. 
And but it's not satisfying. It's not crowd pleasing because line makes it agonizing because we cut to the daughter watching oh. watching them. So this is the only time I cried during this movie. It's so powerful, and it's 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 a brilliant touch because you know obviously I mean this is literally the Oscar clip for for uh, for Anne Archer when when she was up for best supporting actress. This is the clip they showed at the Academy Awards. Um, but the thing is like. Line doesn't very very wisely, I think, kind of takes it away from what a showy scene it is, and just has it a reaction shot from the daughter, which makes it harrowing, Ugh. so painful to watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this poor child seeing her parents fight just really bad, and and her rabbit's dead. And too. her rabbit is yeah, dead. It's terrible. She has Everything's to go. Terrible. She has to go to bed. I mean, this child doesn't know <laughs> what the heck. Why is this happening? Yeah. You know. So I was just like on in tears, like poor Ellen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so awful. Yeah. So, all right. What did you think about the fact that Beth talks to Alex? I love it because, if anything, it, the film just for me, it's no longer really about Dan. Dan's done so much damage, and his ruse isn't working. Um, for me, it's like he's never been more impotent than when his wife gets on the phone with Alex and says, you come near my family again, I'll kill you. Beth takes control. Dan is limp. And he's, yeah. you know, I just feel like from that point in the movie, Douglas almost doesn't even have a purpose. Uh, again, as, as a performance, he's fantastic in this. But the character, I mean, in a sense, it becomes about Alex, Alex versus Beth at this point. Mm. Um which which is which is fantastic because again, Beth, uh, she's an innocent, but she's she's you know she's fierce and she's strong, and we see how strong she is over the next couple of scenes when, mm-hmm. yeah, when things go so badly for her. Yeah, because so Dan has to go to a hotel, and it's just poor Beth, like just so defeated, yeah. you know now. Um, and so then the next day she goes to pick Ellen up from school, and Ellen isn't there. And this is just, oh my gosh, like, this is so crazy. So Alex, somehow the school, like, lets Ellen go with Alex. I have theories about this. I think she just showed up like, like, hey, I'm like, I'm like, and Alex, I'm here to pick up the daughter. No. Hey, like, no. you know, Dan and Beth are old friends of mine. I'm just going to give her a ride myself. I, you know, this is before finger, I mean, I, I don't think they had fingerprinting at this point. There's no online it, database. It doesn't matter. I mean... I have worked in preschools. Our daughter has been to preschool. I mean, there you have to like literally say these are the only people who can pick my child up. It's the eighties, though. I mean, this is back when like remember remember on the side of milk cartons. I feel like I feel like there were. It's not that there were more child abductions, but I feel like this kind of thing could happen because we were so naive about this that yeah, but still even that. the teachers are just like, oh, she's she's not here. Like, well, the best is line found this magnificent little girl <laughs> with like long blonde hair and glasses and they're like like Betsy have you seen have you seen her and and she just gives us like this horrified slow nod of a head it's like oh that's so great. she just say like she's gone she's gone <laughs> it's oh great yeah so um so now it becomes Beth's movie we're we're in yeah. we're feeling her anxiety we're feeling her fear and we're seeing her tortured reaction as she's I mean, driving around, driving around looking for a dog. What a horrible feeling that is! And the movie just yeah. captures that. I Meanwhile, mean, it's and it's it goes on for what feels like a an long eternity. time. And it's juxtaposed with Alex taking the daughter uh, to apparently Coney Island. Yeah, they're just like riding 
rides together. It's oh, while the mom is freaking out. Like it's it's very unsettling because the daughter clearly knows something is wrong here. You and think? Yes, because it's it's this thing where Alex is pulling her from one thing to another, like literally, fig- literally pulling her. And the daughter isn't really able to like ask like who are you what's going on here even at the end of the scene where she says goodbye to her there's a sense of like she's so uncomfortable because she doesn't even understand why this is happening why would you why would you take me here who are you what what just happened yeah the when poor she kid. when she drops her off she's like do you want to give Alex a kiss like oh yeah gross yeah but at this point she's also thinking about you know like man try it on. See if I can, oh, I can like, be your mother. I could be your stepmom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Ew. So Beth is driving around. She's so desperate. She rear ends a car. She goes to the hospital. Dan, you know, goes to the hospital and Ellen's there. The grandparents are there. And that's an interesting moment because we don't really know his his in-laws. And at that at this point, like, yeah, he shows up at the hospital the mother-in-law gives him the stink eye and then he goes into the room with Beth and he gets the stink eye from the father. And it's like, this is interesting. Like, I wonder if there were more of these, these scenes, if they just cut yeah. out like all the scenes, like you're no good for my daughter. I know you were no good. I wonder if those kind of scenes yeah, like, used to be in the film. Like the obvious yeah. know, and confrontation. It's, and it's fine. You know, Lion is such a great visualist. I love that. He just found really good actors who are like, okay, look at Michael Douglas. Like you hate his freaking guts and oh, perfect. <laughs> oh, perfect. You guys are great. But I mean, Beth is just laying there with like black eyes and yeah, it's she's it's awful. It's this awful. Is, this is I mean, you couldn't find a more likable character in this movie, and she's literally you know smashed to pieces in a hospital room. Yeah. yeah. So this is when Dan goes to Alex's apartment. Oh, this scene is so fantastic. Is, I love it so much. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, he like she barely opens the door, and he is smacks just lunges for yeah. her. Yeah. Douglas and close man like. It's it's a full on fight scene. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's the way. I mean, everything about this movie, the ed, the the editing, the cinematography, and especially the sound are all superb. But this scene, I mean, I, I don't even know if there's stunts. It it just seems like these two actors are just like really unsafely. I mean, even if this was choreographed, there's something so ferocious about this scene, it, yeah. and it's terribly satisfying because she's getting blows in too. I mean, they're both like trying to kill each other yeah it's amazing he tries to strangle her um she takes a knife and tries to stab him with that scene is scary as frick and i'll tell you like i wrote in my notes i'm like i don't know how i missed this but like she attacks him in a kitchen with this big kitchen knife her knife is raised over her head she's running at him screaming and there's a there's a light uh fixture that's swinging back and forth it's right out of psycho it's the ending Mm. of psycho oh interesting yeah so then he takes the knife She's just kind of like out of breath on the side. You As know. you do after you fight Michael Douglas for yeah, your life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he, he puts the knife down on the counter. And, and the like, camera is very, very deliberate to show us that, yeah, that he is putting the knife down, indicating, of course, that his fingerprints are all over this knife. Right. And yeah. then he backs out and, and walks, and, walks yeah, away. Another great POV shot. It's it's right from Douglas's point of view where he is watching her as he's slowly backing out of the room the way you would walk away from an uncaged lion. Mm-hmm. So. You know, he's giving her presumably like a last look as uh, as he's watching. You know, it's I find that very haunting because, I mean, he's presuming as we are that this is the last time he's ever going to see this person because this this is it. It's it's yeah. this is the bottom for both of them. Exactly. Yeah. And then Dan goes back to the police 
And I think what tells them about the kidnapping. And so everything. like, I'm so sorry. I remember when I told I talked to you for like an hour the other day about my friend. Well, okay, it was me. Yeah, <laughs> please. I know officer. you're really surprised. I know that. <laughs> You're not the only uh, husband who's been in here with so, these stories. Wait a second. So wait, you're saying your friend Stan is actually you, Dan? Okay. <laughs> you really had me fooled there, Dan. Uh, so he, I, you know, he goes back there. Then Beth is home with her black eyes, yeah. and and this is the you know climax of the whole thing where she's running a bath, the, the hottest bath. In history. Oh man, like this bath looks like it's about to explode. I mean, and then downstairs. No, but there's the steam in this bathroom. It's incredible. Like, what is this bath like 110 degrees? Oh, it's great. Yeah, this looks like <laughs> the most inviting. Yeah, I know. You could like you could boil an egg in this bath, right? Oh my god. And then meanwhile, downstairs, Dan is making like the hottest cup the hottest like cup kettle of tea, of tea yes. in humankind. Yeah, I mean it's like it's yeah, like your the, your least favorite sound oh, of all man. time. That's like one of my big pet peeves. But it's also in a movie. I'm just like, take it off the stove, take it off. But of course, like, no, no. Of course, Adrian Lyons, like, like the tension. It's building. It's building. Yeah, yeah. Because at some point, um, at some point, Beth is cleaning the the uh, the dew off of her mirror, and it's it's one of the oldest one of the oldest horror movie cliches in the book. And this movie totally gets away with it because it's so scary to see Glenn close in your bathroom mirror when you don't know that she's there. And she's, she's got a huge kitchen knife and, you know, she's looking at Beth like a hungry lion. And, and it's that whole thing of, uh, she's like, you know, why are you here? Again, it's the whole thing with the daughter. I feel it's like, you know, like in her mind, it's like Beth is an intruder and she's right. here to finish the job. Right. But she also has the knife, like, cut, she's cutting herself. Deeply disturbing. Yeah. She's chopping the knife into her leg, her leg as she's approaching her. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. uh, yeah. There's something very clinical about it. Yeah. To say that it clearly Glenn Close did her homework about the kind of mannerisms and the sort of self destructive cutting behavior that someone would exude in, you know, this kind of extreme circumstance. Right. And so then they start fighting. In yeah. the bathroom. Yeah. And of course, Dan... Mirrors are, yeah, mirrors are broken. And yeah. And yeah. Dan's just downstairs like... This is going to be some good tea, oh, man. Oh, man. I'm going to make you the best cup of tea you've ever had. Oh, man. Chamomile. Here I come. <laughs> Sleepy time, anyone? <laughs> and then when the kettle goes off and he takes it off, he finally hears her scream. Finally. He's like, ooh, celestial seasonings. Hey, oh, what's and, going on? And then there's like water is just like dripping. Dripping down. Even Quincy's like, God, this freaking house, man. <laughs> It's freaking humans, You're going to need more than a painting party to fix this water damage. Get the hell out of here. I saw what happened to the rabbit, man. You people are nuts. <laughs> yeah. So he runs up and, you know, basically tries to drown Alex in the tub. Yeah, there's a crazy angle where the camera's looking up at Douglas. I love it because no matter how you feel about this character, there's never been a more unflattering shot of Michael Douglas in his life. He looks like a drowned rat trying to trying to 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 get rid of Glenn clothes it's great and yeah. i heard they had to shoot this scene where he drowns her like yeah. like a hundred times yeah yeah i mean talk about just terrifying to be drowned like that by michael douglas oh my god yeah no um the, you know these scenes i mean this is the you know it's a bit much because we just had the mother of all fight scenes in alex's apartment then we have this scene it does 
it, to, to give it credit, I mean, both of these scenes, I mean, the the intensity of them are pretty amazing, I think. Yeah. You know, they, they again, they don't feel choreographed. They feel dangerous. You feel that the actors are unsafe. You worry about the actors. I did, yeah. Because whether it's, you know, whether it's, is, is she holding her breath? Is is it is it an issue of you know is it like not real porcelain that she that he's banging her head against? Like there's all these little movie tricks, but still it just it just seems like they must have walked away limping after after oh. however long it took to film this insane sequence. Yeah, so yeah. she drowns, but then somehow awakens and like comes out of the tub. Yeah, and then Beth just shoots her. And interestingly, Beth shoots her in the stomach. Mm. so yeah so that 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 solves the issue of of a unborn child oh well when you put it that way well it 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 should be considered that way it's tragic the film is on the one hand like and i feel like it's deliberate choice because let's face it in these movies they always shoot them dead bang in the head but the fact that she shoots her in the stomach that's an interesting choice because that's eliminating alex as, as i thought it was like right in the center okay i don't know but either way, it's just very obvious that she's dead. She's a goner. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of blood and, and nobody dies like Glenn Close. I've seen Glenn Close die in a few movies. The second best would be the chandelier to the face in Mars Attacks. But this is pretty amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is a compliment. I mean, she's, she's, a, she's amazing. She's amazing in this. So then um, what they, they call the police and... That's it. And then the camera lingers on a shot of the family. Yeah, it's very much like, well, you know, tidy this up and, you know, time to go home, folks. Yeah. Right. But we watched the alternative ending. Yeah. It's one of the most famous movies to ever have a reshot ending, as everybody everybody knows this about Fatal Attraction. They It originally had a different ending and audiences didn't like it. So they went back and... They said it wasn't satisfying enough. Yeah. I mean... Which when... is like, man, like those 80s audiences, they were bloodthirsty. <laughs> <laughs> because i i really liked the like the first yeah. ending yeah i prefer the original ending yeah the original ending um it picks up it's i mean it, as i said like it makes that fight between dan and alex that's the real climax of the movie mm-hmm. which is, as it should be because that's an all stops out scene it's terrific the movie can't get better than that it really can't but that was originally the ending of the film um, or rather, you know, the climax of the film where he leaves his fingerprints on the knife, he's walking, he's watching her as he's walking away. That really is their last scene together. So not long after that, cops come to his farmhouse. Some time has passed and established that Alex has died. The cops are indicating that he is, they're going to arrest him because his fingerprints are all over the house and you have someone the knife. Yeah, and she slashed her own throat. And on the one hand... And they show her slashing her. Yeah, it's throat. very, it's so disturbing. She's just sitting there listening to Puccini, and that's the that's the image the movie leaves us on. Um, but th- it is a little ambiguous because Beth has a, the tape recording of Alex, and she hears there's something on the tape recording that's a little incriminating and possibly could help Dan's case to get him out. But Dan is being, you know, given the perp walk and taken away by a cop at the end. Oh of the yeah, because she says, "I I will kill myself." Yeah. So on the one hand. Mm-hmm. It, it, but it's ambiguous. It's open in in the, in the same way that the ending of uh, Unfaithful. Although mm-hmm. I feel like Unfaithful is, I don't think that ending even works. But no, that ending's like confusing. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Th- this ending works because um, because you know no, no matter even if he gets off, he's still being punished, right? As he should be. And Beth is saving his ass as it should be. And Alex. Um, as much as I don't want her to die in this way, what a horrible, lonely death! So much like the so much of her life, but it's full circle. 
you know, Douglas set up this scene with the with the story about Madame Butterfly, and the film ends that way mm-hmm. um, with the suicide. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's not a you know, it's not a fun ending at all. But uh, I, I think it's good writing. I do. I feel mm-hmm. like James Deard and the writer really wrote a hell of an ending for this movie. Well, and until the, they changed it, and I think like you know, Glenn Close did a lot of research into what would the psychology of this of a person who does all these things be and they said borderline personality disorder yeah so i think she was she was really upset that they went for the alternative ending which is why alex is seemingly out of it when she shows up yeah why she's self-harming why she's like yeah, at least she found ways to make yeah. it work for her as an actress. Yeah, right. and I gotta say, like even watching it the other night, it's like I I know what the original ending was, and I do like it because I feel like it's classy and it's it's I don't know it's smart and it's challenging. The other you know the ending that everyone saw when the movie was released theatrically, it's crass, it's ultra violent, it's pulpy, but man, it it really does work. I, I do think it works on some level. I mean, it's 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 crowd pleasing and it's 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 feel it really does feel like a total horror movie ending. But Adrian Lyne directs the heck out of it. I think it I think it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. But I mean, seeing how but seeing how the movie could have ended, it's like oh yeah, this this movie could have ended on a far more classy note. Right. I mean, either way, Alex dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, it's, it's a like, tragedy. You know. You know, tragedy. Madame Butterfly is a tragedy, and in in its own way, so is this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so would you um do you have an alternative an alternative alternative, alternative and, ending yeah i don't i mean I, I think uh if you really want to punish dan and you should <laughs> then i think after after you know whether whether it's the original ending or the alternate ending you mean you got to have like six months later and you just see like it's just a really quick shot right before the end credits start to roll of uh of alex um, not Alex, I'm sorry. Uh, Alex is dead. So it's Dan and Beth and a bunch of their friends at this painting party. <laughs> and Dan has like this brush and he's going up and down the wall and he looks at, at uh, his wife and she gives him this big beaming smile and he looks at her and he, you know, kind of like fakes a smile and then he looks at us and, you know, we get a real sense of what he's feeling, just the, the inner rot on the inside, how he's lost and he's inhaling paint fumes. And then uh, credits. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's, he's. I want the paint painting party to be like the limbo, like, the punishment, like purgatory, for purgatory him? for this dude. Yeah, oh. yeah. You will punish. You will smell those paint fumes. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like Dan really. Let's get him away with it. He, he gets yeah. away with it at the end. No, I, I, I don't like it. I don't. Um, and the fact that the movie ends because like it's not that the movie needed an epilogue because really I mean once Glenn Close is gone the movie is over basically yeah so I I understand it's like let's wrap it up the movie's over the audience is gonna leave they're not even gonna be interested in what comes up well I want to know like yeah, I wanna... what happens with him and Beth yeah like do, does their marriage actually survive this um, yeah does her daughter grow her hair out um, yeah like what happens yeah yeah does her daughter grow her hair out. <laughs> So, did this movie change the way people look at like affairs and infidelity? I would say it did. I just, you know, I, I have no statistics to prove that. I just know anecdotally conversations that were going on when this movie came out. I mean, this thing was a monster. It, it, you know, other than Three Men and a Baby, it was the top grossing film of 1987. And it was just, it just never went away. That's the crazy thing. 
because obviously there have been erotic thrillers, suspense thrillers, and and you know neo noir. Subsequently, you know Basic Instinct with Douglas is a very famous example. Him that rocks the cradle, so on and so forth. You know people have different names for these sort of movies. I would call them like a white collar thriller because it's about yuppies. It's about rich entitled white yuppies dealing with this nuisance in their life. But in this case... That they created. That they created. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think the couple in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is far more innocent. Oh, because, yeah. Because remember, it's oh, about... Oh, yeah. 100%. You know, her husband is this creepy, you know, this, this sleazy doctor. He dies and her revenge is pretending to be a nanny. Right. And so, and so on and so forth. I, I like that movie a lot. I do. But... This, I mean, th- this movie really hit home for a lot of people. And it was also, at a, of course, it was at a time where people were saying, like, look, use a condom, AIDS is everywhere. Um, so I feel like this movie really hit at the morality of what was going on in the late 80s in a really profound way. Um, because those after school specials weren't cutting it. Mm. Um, Madonna's, you know, uh, Papa Don't Preach was not cutting it. But this movie, <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, this film, it, it, again, it's it's hard to talk about if you weren't there. I mean, I remember the Time magazine cover, the thriller is back, and it was Douglas and and uh, Gloss on the cover. Um, I remember like every comedian was telling jokes about this. Uh, every late night show made references to it. Glenn Close, as I told you, she was on SNL, and they did a skit where she played Alex Forrest going to um, um, therapy. a therapy group. Yeah. And it's a great, it's amazing skit to watch because it's played for laughs that her, like, what she's doing is so much more traumatic and scary than everyone else there. But, like, because she's so in character, the skit isn't even funny. It's just really creepy. It's great. Um, Yeah, like, this film, it just tapped into the zeitgeist in a way that was just you couldn't deny the impact of this film and it's funny because it's it's a very mainstream american movie on the other hand on one hand but it is pretty raw it felt raw then it feels it still feels pretty raw today even though it has these crowd-pleasing mainstream things about it yeah but uh yeah i mean that's that's why when i was a kid i wanted to see this film so badly when you were a kid a kid like a child a child yeah i was uh ellen's age no (laughs) Pretty much. No, I was about nine, ten years old when this came out. Yeah, about nine or so. Yeah, yeah. And then should I tell that story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. So, yeah. So, I mean, this thing, I mean, there was a Mad Magazine parody. My buddies at school were talking about it in the fourth grade. It's insane. That is insane. I mean, but like everywhere I went, Fail Attraction, Fail Attraction, it was up for Best Picture. It made more money than almost every film that came out that year. It was like $150 or something. My first grade classmates not talking about this movie, FYI. Well, in the fourth grade, we were talking about Fatal Attraction. (laughs) So, yeah, I I just kept hearing about it. And, And this was, you know, I grew up in a household where... My parents let some stuff slip. You know, when I was in third grade, I'd seen aliens and and uh, RoboCop stuff. I really should not have been seeing, but I'm like, Mom, I gotta see this movie, please. Except for Best Picture, it's on the cover of this magazine that I have. Please, I love Michael Douglas. I love Romancing the Stone. Clearly, it's the same movie. Come on, let me watch <laughs> Fatal Attraction. And my mother, my mom, like sat me down. And she's like, Barry, promise me you will not see this movie until you're 17 years old, until you're old enough. Like, Mom, you've let me see Harvard. Promise me, promise me that you're not going to watch this movie until you are 17 years old because that's how old you should be to watch Fatal Attraction. I'm like, all right, Mom, I promise. I promise you, out of all the R-rated movies I will see, like, tonight, (laughs) I will not watch Fatal Attraction until I'm 17. So what happens is... My 17th birthday comes and I have this, I'm hanging with my high school buddies. This is years later and I'm having a fun day. I get home at night and it's like nine o'clock. I'm at, I'm at, alone at my house and my dad was going to come home late that night. He had a red eye flight 
And he's like, yeah, I'll see you on your birthday, you know, but I'll be home like 1130 noons, uh, midnight. So you get the house to yourself. So I get home. It's really late. And I had a long day with my buddies at the beach. We're having fun. It was just a long, fun day. And I remember sitting on the couch and I'm just like, oh, I can see Fatal Attraction. I'm old enough. I'm 17 years old now. I can actually watch Fatal Attraction because I, I, I did. I, I didn't watch it. So I had to go into our room where we kept all our video cassettes. And my mom had made a point to get a ladder and put Fatal Attraction on the top shelf so I couldn't get to it. I mean, she was, you know, by the way, I worked at a video store. So it's not like I couldn't get Fatal Attraction, but whatever, mom. So, but no, I, I, I was good. I, I, that was the one thing she asked me. One thing she ever asked me to do, really. Promise me. So I did. <laughs> so I get this little step ladder and I get Fatal Attraction off the top of our shelf. There's a layer of dust on it, but like I take it out of the sleeve and sure enough, it's been rewound. It's in pristine condition. I'm like, all right, watch Fatal Attraction. So it's like uh, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And um, I think I get some microwavable popcorn. I push play. I'm watching the movie. And I turn off all the lights in the house just because I want to have – and I turn the volume way up. <laughs> and uh, the scene where Glenn Close reveals to Michael Douglas that she has slashed her wrist and she is smearing blood all over his face, I was so freaking frightened. And I realized, oh, this was such a bad idea. Cause like I was too afraid to get up and turn the lights on. Like I was like trapped and I had like this little blanket and I'm putting up up to my eyes. I'm so afraid. And that's like, there's no music in this movie except for a few moments. So like the movie just, it felt like it was happening to me. And Glenn Close's character petrified me. The movie really, like, I wasn't prepared for how scary that movie was. And then the moment where Glenn Close leaps out of the bathtub, that's the moment my dad got home. And not only did he get home, like, it was almost like he planned it. The door flies open and goes, happy birthday, man, right? As Glenn Close goes, ah! And I'm just like, ah! I just jumped out of the couch. And my dad's like, you okay? You know. I'm like, I'm watching Fatal Attraction. So, yeah, that was the first you time. You have gone through puberty yet? Almost, yeah. Well, I did after that movie. Hi, Dad. How's it going? I'm 17 now. I'm a man. I watch Fatal Attraction. But yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen Fatal Attraction. And because it scared me that badly and I just wasn't prepared for that movie, um, I didn't see it until you and I watched it early into our marriage. And then we watched it the other night for this podcast. So I've seen it three times in my life. I don't know when I'll see it again, but I gotta say, like the movie's fantastic. Yeah, I love this movie; it's terrific. But it bothers me a lot. <laughs> Such a great story. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it is scary. And do you know that the, the original titles for this movie? One was Diversion. It's based on a, mm-hmm. a short film that that uh, that reared and the writer uh, actually conceived beforehand. Yeah. But the other title they almost called this movie was Affairs of the Heart. Ugh. Yeah, no. I saw that in the making of. They actually sex showed it. Sex and salsa a, is better. Sex and salsa is a great title. Somebody needs to use sex and salsa. Yeah. If they remake Fatal Attraction, just call it sex and salsa. People will know. They'll be like, yeah. oh, yeah, it's Fatal Attraction. Oh, yeah. 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 Just call it I Will Not Be Ignored. Ooh. That's a good title. Yeah. Or discreet. Discretion. 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 There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There Discretion. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Great. Fatal title. Attraction is the best. Perfect title. Yeah. Yep. Great film. All right. So- I'd say three and a half stars for me because I don't buy her getting acid, let alone <laughs> carefully pouring it on la la la, like pouring it on the car. I don't buy that at all. That's ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, there's just, yeah, there's some stuff in the third act I don't really like um because i i do think it makes a villain out of her 
I, do, I, do, I think the character is sympathetic despite all those things. And I don't see the character as a villain. I don't. I see Dan as the villain. I truly do. But there, there are some things that the movie does that tr- I think tries to kind of tries to really position her as the bad guy, so to speak. And I don't well, always buy that. They're both. They're both awful. They're both they're not both making good. some big mistakes. Yeah yeah. 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 They're both not good. So, um, yeah, they needed to have that birth control talk up front. And Dan should have never, you know, he just shouldn't have been cheating out his wife. But then we wouldn't have a movie. So there he's you a go. basic lawyer. This is he's what they a, do. <laughs> he's just basic. A basic white guy, you know, yeah. that is supposed to be like every man. But I don't know. He's not. He's a little too. Uh, well, he's, he has everything and he's not happy. Right. I mean, Which is, is, is that an every man thing? That's annoying. I don't know. Is it? I, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty fantastic. And I'm like, not like man, like, wish I could find a Glenn Close to run off with. Wish I could get some sex and salsa. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, just ask. You can have that. <laughs> oh, well, in that case, well, we're gonna end this podcast. This has early. been a very just special kidding. episode. <laughs> oh, it's funny. No, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if it's because he has everything, but I, I agree with you on three and a half stars. I do think it would have been nice to get a little more insight into Dan and Beth, and what exactly he thought was missing from their relationship. Because I think that would have helped just the audience be like, oh, okay, like maybe a little bit more understanding. Because from my perspective, like, dude's got it all. Like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. yeah Not I that I want to be, like, sympathetic to the guy who cheats on his wife. But, you know, there's it's nice to have a little context. Well, that's the interesting problem with this movie, so to speak, is that you're, it is the question. And even Douglas brought it up in the making of documentary. Like, who are you rooting for here? Um, it is such a uncomfortable topic. So it is this question of like, where does your, yeah, who's well, your allegiance go to? Yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for Beth and Ellen. Yeah. You know, and they suffer probably the greatest. Yeah. Other than Quincy, who has to like constantly like hold in his pee, that poor dog. <laughs> if yeah. this movie is missing anything, it's like an insert shot, like after Alex is dead and, you know, the cops are, like, taking the body away and stuff. There should be just a shot of, like, Quincy just booking it, just, like, running away. <laughs> it's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. This family is crazy. Like, where's Quincy? You see the dog door just, like, doom, doom, just flipping back and forth. <laughs> like, that dog is gone. No more of this crap. Like, I'm going to go find a better family. Yeah, much better yeah. family. The crazy Gallagher family. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so three and a half stars for you, too. Cool. Yeah, okay. I, th- I think so. Just because, like you said, there's just a few things that are like, eh, I could have... Yeah, been some better, different, some crowd pleasing stuff that you know. This is a pretty, this is a pretty raw movie, and we know how good it is because there's been so many ripoffs of Fatal Attraction over the years, and it still just doesn't compare to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion of Sex and Salsa. No, just kidding. Also known as Affairs of the Heart, <laughs> Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Thanks, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night.